Welcome to Sort of Zero with Kevin Clark. I am Kevin Clark. Joined on a Wednesday evening. I am in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I got a Wawa sandwich. The TV in my hotel doesn't work. And that's a good sign that it's tomorrow's the last day of my camp tour. Hello, Lindsay. Um, hi, Kevin. Um, glad to hear you're almost home. I am home, fresh off the Taylor Swift concert, which is why I sound like uh, I screamed for, I don't know, four to five hours. So we're doing great is what I'm saying. I, I think we might be the last ringer podcast to be infiltrated by Taylor Swift talk, but can you give us like a, like 30 seconds on it? Uh, we're the last holdout. Yeah. Fantastic show. Um, the loudest I've ever heard SoFi stadium. Uh, she had like a eight plus minute ovation in the middle of the show where there's no other sound. I mean, there's no music. It's just the crowd yelling and, uh, the Chargers and Rams could only dream of. I was going to say, so the Chargers weren't, aren't, don't have loud fans. Um, it's not exactly what I'm saying, but it is a little. I mean, look, like we were at a Super Bowl there. I've been at an NFC Championship game there, and the Niners fans tried their damnedest to make it very, very loud there. But Taylor Swift made it uh, full and crazy and fun in ways that uh, the NFL can only hope to achieve. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We are going to talk about the Los Angeles Chargers a little bit later, uh, not their fans, their coach. Um, I am fresh off two days in suburban Virginia for commander's camp. Um, well, I, I don't know if we want to start with the yeah, Rivera, let's start Rivera let's, let's start but I do want, I want to say something before I get into to Rivera and these are his words, putting his foot in his mouth. Um, commander's camp is amazing. Like I've never seen any energy at all at anything to do with the commanders. I've been covering this league for a decade, okay? And there was a buzz when they got RG3 and they had Mike Shanahan and I went to that camp and I remember and I remember talking to Kirk Cousins there and all that stuff. There was something there, but it still felt tainted by Dan Snyder. And then everything got progressively worse from there, obviously. And what I think happened is eventually everything stopped being about football and there were two prongs to that. Number one is every decision, none of them were well thought out became sort of just it was just retconning uh the desperate whims to justify the de- desperate whims of a of a tyrant right like that's that's what that was okay that that's number one um and then number two any momentum that they had on the football side that was really just kind of incidental was stunted by the fact that everyone assumed that they would screw it up right and so like if i'm, I'm making this up but like if they had taken patrick mahomes a few years ago I think every, even in year two, when he looked like the best player in the world, they would have said, eh, Snyder's going to screw it up. And then, by the way, he would have screwed it up. 
somehow he would have screwed it up. And so the hope that was there, um, Mitch Rails, who's the like the number two owner, um, number three, I'm not sure where magic is on that on that totem pole, but he was um he was at practice today and people were just screaming like thank you for saving us. And then and what's funny is that like the on field product is not much different. Like this team is not yeah. gonna be very good. They're gonna win seven games. But once you 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 step literally one inch off of the white line and get to the sideline, there's a real honest to God energy. And I think that there's, I, I, I loved seeing it. There were a ton of people there today, which by the way, is a product of the fact that they added stands and they no longer have a crazy lottery system, which was put in by the old regime, which limited people being in there to begin with. So there would have been more people on a normal day uh, in the previous years if they didn't have a poorly thought out plan, which by the way, the entire franchise was a poorly thought out plan. Um, but I just, I, I before I get to the Rivera thing, I just want to say it is, I love that market for football. I am so happy. Like my family members who love that team. Um, I've not checked in with them, but like every family with a connection to DC is so much happier than they used to be. And I just think that's awesome. Well, first of all, you should probably call your family. Um, second of all, um, yeah, they've been one of the most fun, fun kind of, and like weird training camps to follow. And I think we talked, we've, we've talked about this a little bit where um, there's a, a little bit of dichotomy between like the really good off field vibes and the, I don't know what's going on football wise in practice in the locker room, as apparently we're going to uh, we're going to talk about as Ron Rivera pulled back the curtain a little bit about what's going on uh, within this new offense. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they deserve it. And I think things are going to start happen happening quickly in terms of like moving that organization forward in terms of stadium deals, in terms of like media, you know, just right. rebranding. I mean, not to that's on the table, right? I mean, magic has kind of come out and said that that's on the table, but I think a lot of the things that have just stalled, um, that have really been holding that franchise back the stadium deal, a biggest among them. Now that Snyder is gone, those things are really going to start moving forward in a way that's going to be really, really positive for that organization. The governor of Maryland was there today, Wednesday, and was just like begging for the team to come. And that's important because while it's not unusual, for governors to say, please let this NFL team uh, build a new stadium in our district. Um, it is unusual as far as the commanders go because Daniel Snyder was so yeah, toxic. It's unusual for that organization. Yes. And so there's some jockeying between obviously Maryland, where it is now, Virginia and DC, the district and, and well, RFK site. There's some weird... Uh, is is it FBI? The FBI and and the commander's land swap was 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 floated at one point. Whatever, but there's honest to god jockeying, and like that's like again, thirty one other teams. Like the Bears are trying to build a, a stadium, right? And like every every mayor and county executive is saying to the Bears, "Hey, why don't you meet with us?" That was not happening in DC at all, and now it is, and that's the most important thing. All right, um, so let's talk about uh, Rivera v. I'm not really sure if you could say VB enemy or it's the players VB enemy or Ron versus the players, because I got a lot of conflicting reports here. So let's start from the top. So yesterday, um, Rivera unprompted basically says they, the players are struggling with certain things that the enemy has been doing in practice his intensity and that uh, the players were quote, a little concerned with the enemy's 
level of intensity, and they came to Rivera. He volunteered all this information. This was not extracted from him. There was no CIA interrogation. They didn't do anything. Rivera just stood there and said, here's what's happening. So he comes out on Wednesday um, and says he puts put his foot in his mouth, has basically a, a statement where he says he loved the, quote, overall message that the enemy has had, and they have to learn to be comfortable when they're uncomfortable. Um Rivera says weird things to the media sometimes. This is another example of that. Lindsay, we both know Ron Rivera. Uh, You want to take this where? Oh, man. Well, I appreciate it. So I was, as I said, I was kind of traveling. I've been in and out. And so you were explaining to me some of the TikTok of this yesterday. Because the first thing is I couldn't believe that he kind of just volunteered this information. Where he just said that there was like some sort of issue going on between his players and his very high profile new offensive coordinator. I was sure that that was one, like it had originated as like a nugget in Peter King's notebook or something and, or a pro football talk item that came from an agent or something. But no, the most notable part to me is that like Ron Rivera felt like he was going to talk about this. I know that the, the snowball effect from this is that it's all going to be about Eric Bieniemy and his coaching style and the way that he's in- interacting with players and the way that players are responding to him. And that can be a really, really tr- tricky area to venture into because of everything that has happened with Eric Bieniemy, who he is, why he hasn't gotten jobs in the past. But I don't know. I mean, what were, I, I, I'm still like really confused about why this all happened. And part of it, I think is, is you you and I talked about offline a little bit is like, sometimes I think Ron Rivera just can't like help himself. Yes. Like he is a a guy who like, he's, he's um, a, a talkative guy. He has very good relationships, but he does tend to sometimes say a little bit too much um, or a little bit the wrong thing. I mean, what was the last, last year when he said he didn't know about the playoff situation going on? Like that was kind of a, a, a an embarrassing blunder where, you know, sometimes you just need to like, have that filter on when you're at a microphone, but uh, I don't know, take, take me back through kind of what it was like being there. Cause I was listening to a lot of this from the outside and I loved that you and, uh, and our dear friend, Steven Ruiz were, were also, he was also there today for maybe that's, you think Rivera was nervous cause he saw, he saw the fellas and he just started just freelancing. He was like, Oh shit. The ringers here. Um, are the Phillies working on a perfect game? Is that what I'm seeing here? Um, st- stay tuned. Stay tuned on Thursday morning to find out. Some people get their baseball news now. It's on a football podcast 12 hours earlier. Um, all right. So uh, I asked a bunch of people about this, and I got all sorts of different answers. My feeling is that he was just sort of uh, talking. He was just talking because he's honest to a fault and he says things he shouldn't and he likes to help out the media and all of a sudden he has said too much. Now, every single media member gave gave Sean Payton so much grace and the benefit of the doubt and they said, this is so calculated. He's sending a message. He's saying that he's setting up Russell Wilson, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, nah, he's probably just talking. And guess what? There's going to be none of that benefit of the doubt with Ron Rivera because guess what? He's doing the same thing Sean Payton's doing. He was asked a question and it's hot and it's 90 degrees and it's August 3rd and or August 9th, you know, or August 15th. And you have no idea what's going on. And it's the dog days of summer and you just say stuff. Coaches will do it next week too. The amount of times I'm walking with a coach and he'll just say something wild because it's day 14 of training camp or day three of training camp. It's a long list. It's a long list. And so I don't think that it's, there's any sort of, so there were a couple of different theories going around commander's camp. One was that he was trying to send a message to be enemy Two, 
was he was trying to send a message to the players. I don't think it was either of those things. I think Biennemi, and I heard somebody say this today, you know, Biennemi is a different type of coach. He comes from a different program. They won a lot in Kansas City. He's going to have high expectations. He was, I'll give you a good example. He was yelling at the guys yesterday to finish the drill, to run out a, a seven on seven. So a guy gets tackled um, and he want, the running back gets tackled in, in um, they're, they're in shells or whatever. They're in pads, but they're, they're not tackling the ground, obviously. But there's contact and then Biennemi says, finish the play. So then the running back would have to run an extra 15, 20 yards. I don't know. I've not seen enough Kansas City practice to know if they do that there, but they do it here. I don't see it very often. And and that's the kind of thing where is the running back rolling his eyes and saying, I can't believe I have to run an extra 20 yards, which, by the way, like we think it's when I was at the Greenbrier uh, watching the Browns a couple days ago, I happened to be on the sideline and they had to run some sprints because there was a fight. And you think when you watch NFL practice, I know this is going to sound so basic. When you watch NFL practice, they're moving seven yards at a time. They're exhausted all the time. Yeah. And when I was on that sideline, they're doing sprints and they're right in front of me. And you could hear the huffing and puffing. And you don't realize that these guys are on edge all the time. They're the total state of exhaustion because they're moving slowly. You don't realize how much they're exerting themselves, especially when they're sprinting. And so maybe is it one of these things where a player doesn't want an extra 15 yards, a player doesn't want to do an extra hustle play because it's August 8th? I don't know. I just know he's intense in practice. And I think that it's a really good way to kneecap him really early to say he can't run the level of intense practices that he does. He wants, I think you, you do. I don't know if Eric the is going to be successful as a play caller. Cause he just, uh, he, he's going to have Sam Howell. He's going to have a bad offensive line, all of that stuff. But for a guy who's got a huge year ahead for his career, when he couldn't get a head coaching job and he's here to prove himself to kneecap him like this from an intensity standpoint, I think is, is actually quite disappointing. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, um, I don't think it was a calculated, he is working hard. You know, he, Ron Rivera was trying to send this message. I think he was, as you said, kind of just speaking off the cuff a little bit about stuff that's going on with his team. I do wonder, it does make me, you know, question a little bit about like, well, what kind of practices were they, were they doing there before? Or, you know, a lot of those type of things. Like, I don't think it reflects very well on where that organization or where that football team has been. Um, I think if you watch, you know, listen to Patrick Mahomes talk stuff that he's said over the last few years, um, watch sideline interactions with between Patrick Mahomes and Eric Bieniemy over the years. Mm-hmm. It was not like the, you know, they have a lot of intense conversations. And I think a lot of the chiefs coaches have had a pretty intense sideline demeanor with their players. Um, go back and watch scenes in the quarterback. Um, Andy Reid specifically, like, didn't want to be a big part of the quarterback on Netflix, but there was more. You did see interactions with Biennemi on the sidelines, um, particularly in the was it was the divisional round playoff game where Patrick hurt his knee slash ankle. Mm-hmm. I guess it was his ankle, and um, a lot of really intense discussions between EB and Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines. Um, a little confrontational. Um, so I mean, I think you know he he's a guy who pushes really hard, and the Chiefs do have a reputation of having one of the most physical, intense training camps. Andy Reid is one of the last guys to, I mean, he, he operates within the CBA rules, but he pushes it all the way to the limit in terms of how much contact you have, how much how many hours you can have on the field. You know, St. Joe's is a miserable. I mean, it is it is one of the most old school training camp setups. It's basically St. Joe's and. Latrobe for where the Steelers practice. By the way, both of those coaches 
they hit the shit out of each other there. Yeah, I mean, they do. They actually hit in those practices. So I get I it. If there's and another if, commonality between Mike Tomlin and Andy Reid. Something about winning a lot more games than they lose. I don't know. Gold jackets in their future. Yeah, really well I've become. I was actually almost yeah. with Ruiz. I've actually become, maybe because I spent so too much time with Mike Vrabel, I've become so effort and execution pilled this month. Like, I'm so <laughs> into it. I think it's because I've been talking a lot. Now, now with Vrabel, he would never do this sort of thing. But like, um, a couple of coaches have just like told me about different like players who were not giving enough effort or like the, you know, this guy's maybe it's just a confluence of guys where it's like, this guy didn't put in enough effort. And like, this guy was loafing in a huge game, blah, blah, blah. And now, and then I watched a couple of these guys and I'm just like, Oh, right. Sometimes these guys are human and they just put zero effort into massive games. And now I'm, I'm just totally effort pilled. Look, it's, it's not so much different than uh, editing a staff of NFL writers. Well, I bring it. So, so we'll, we'll have that discussion offline later. Um, <laughs> But the other question I had too is like, and even if it's not like the running backs, like complaining and the way like whining or whatever, but like, if they're saying like, wow, we're running so many plays or the tempo is really fast. Like, have they watched the chiefs? Like, have you watched the kind of offense that they run? Like how many, what tempo they play with and how many plays they run in a game and how much motion there is in a game? Like there's a lot. And if you want to do that, and I have a lot of questions about if, you know, if that's replicable, what they did in Kansas City with the uh, commander's offensive personnel, all of those sorts of things. But like, that's what you're getting. That's the type of scheme that he's trying to run. And um, like training camp sucks. And I will say like these guys, we're old. Like, do you remember like real two a days when it was like four and five yeah, hour I practices? Was co- I was in college and I would go and you would, um, I covered the Dolphins for two summers during two a days. And you would get there at like 9 a.m. You leave at like 6 p.m. And they would practice twice. Yeah. Yeah. It was For insane. like two plus hours a time. It was in, I'm actually writing a piece. And there's someone in there who talks about how intense, about, about how to sort of change your approach to practice. And they were talking about two-a-days. And like people would retire. People I and mean, people retire now, but like I don't know, people people would be like, I actually don't want to do the second practice. I'm g- I'm going to go home and be. Do a you know my man. John Lynch story? Have I told you the John Lynch? Do you no. know the John did Lynch go, story? Did he go Vontae Davis on us? Uh, so 2008 training camp. It was my first year covering the Broncos. John Lynch was a very veteran at that point, um, and he had kind of been told that uh, he was still going to be like their starting safety there in that defense, but like Mike was trying to kind of like give him a little bit of a a different role and maybe he wouldn't play quite as many snaps. And, uh, yeah, it was about three or four days into like real training camp. And he just went AWOL. Like John Lynch wasn't around John Lynch, like, you know, now a general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, but like, you know, team captain, the whole thing, you know, captain America kind of guy. And like John Lynch doesn't just like disappear. So the fact that like John Lynch wasn't there and this is like pre-social media, this is 2008. Um, nobody has Twitter at practice. We barely have cell phones. Mike Shanahan had a rule. Actually, Sheil and Ben were talking, uh, Ben Solak were talking about this on Extra Point Taken this morning about the uh, ridiculous rules that some coaches have at training camp. One of Mike Shanahan's rules um, was that if you, you no cell phones on the sideline, so you couldn't make a call and nobody was, I mean, people could text a little bit. And then once you left, you couldn't come back in. So like if you were a reporter covering a two and a half hour practice, And you needed to call your boss if you left the gate, like you were done, like you couldn't watch the rest of the practice. So like there was no, it was just kind of like, where the hell is John Lynch? And we start doing all this like report, you know, trying to figure out where he is. Um, 
asking other players and all this stuff. And it turned out he was just like, I'm out. I can't like, I'm done. Like I'm going to go. And so he went home and a bunch of the guys from the team um, later in the day came and met him. And there were a lot of beers consumed. And then within a few hours, he was no longer a Denver Bronco. And um, so, yeah, people retire. Hall of Famers, future general managers retire in the middle, in the middle. I also feel and I only got a couple years of this. I also feel that pre CBA, the fights were just way more insane. Oh, I've seen I saw some insane ones. Yeah, I saw one with uh, (laughs) no no one is going to remember these two guys. Uh, David Kirkus was the, was the uh, wide receiver. Yeah, it was a Dolphins Dolphins Vargas and Will Allen, the cornerback, uh, not the safety or the. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a bunch of Will Allens, right? Um, they, but like mid mid aughts, uh, Miami Dolphins. That's my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. 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 It was like 2008, I think. And like they're just in coverage, and the, somehow like the helmet, one of the helmets come off, and they just started wailing on each other like a UFC fight. And you don't see that anymore. You don't. I think that they were so hot and angry because of the the practice rules before the previous CBA. They were just like, I don't know anything that's going on here. And even like the early, I remember, yeah, the year before the CBA, um, I was covering a Jets practice with the Hard Knocks team, and there was this guy. I think his name was Rob Turner who would just Rex would have him starting fights all the time. Like that was his thing. Like if if practice got too boring, he would just start a fight. And I remember, I remember some guy, one of the players being like, Oh yeah, Rob wants to be in the quarterback or the the guard competition, whatever it was, the tackle competition. And he's like lashing out. And the solution was just start punching people. And you don't have, like I saw a fight between the Packers and the, and the Bengals today. It's like a little bit of a skirmish. Dudes used to wail on each other. Yeah, I saw, um, not to just turn this into like an, uh, us, us old people talking about how the good no, old days. I, practice um, brawls are content. They, um, the best one, or the best, I know, well, I saw, I have two, but the one that was like pre-new uh, CBA back in the, like, the really heavy days, it's actually on a season of Hard Knocks. It was that 2008 season, the Cowboys came to Denver for joint practices. And the, that was like, the Cowboys offensive line was huge. And really nasty Flozell Adams um, and got into it with like basically everybody on the Broncos defensive line. And uh, here's a name that you'll know. Uh, some guys as being a Florida guy, uh, Marcus Thomas. You remember Marcus Thomas? Oh yeah. Um, and there was a God who were, I can't, now I can't even remember the rest of those guys, but there was a nasty fight and Flozell Adams ripped one of the Broncos D lineman's helmets off and then swung it at him like as a weapon and oh, there was, it was so on, much helmet swinging back then. Yeah. And it was like, uh, on hard knocks. And I actually went back and like found it on YouTube a summer or two ago. We were having one of those, like, do you remember this guy conversations with, cause like a lot of the guys who played for that Broncos team are now like Broncos media members. And we had like a remember the good old days of training camp conversations. That was also the good old days of hard knocks when they actually like showed interesting shit. I think the other problem is that, uh, there are less, like really old guys along the lines because of the new CBA because yeah. every team went younger. And now like the, I, I will tell you this, there's no doubt in my mind that the, the 2011 CBA killed, killed the insane practice fight. Just like a punch, like f- less than five punches have landed in the past 12 years in, in August. It was Travis this is Kelsey, what they stole like from us two weeks ago. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, all right. And then that crazy fight with the Raiders where they had to get on the bus immediately. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Um, I actually saw a really Rams. crazy Raiders-Cowboys fight at joint practices there like five years ago oh, yeah, in, Ox- yeah, yeah. in Oxnard. It like spilled. It was like up. You know how they used to have like fences yeah, yeah, and fans yeah, yeah, yeah. would like lean over the fences? Um, it went into the fences and fans were like kind of trying to get in it oh, and remember. fans had helmets that they were going to get signed and they were, so they were helmets. <laughs> all right let's move on here um brandon staley says he visited this is steve not boxing kerr. podcast sorry hey 10 rounds we already did it um brandon staley visited steve kerr on how to bounce back from a playoff loss i gotta be honest with you i didn't really understand this so i read it breer had it somebody else had it a couple weeks ago and then he gave the most expansive comments staley did to Kay adams um on wednesday or tuesday and he, they talked about uh kerr i guess it talked a little bit about popovich after popovich's loss to miami and the whole thing i guess is just having stories to tell the players that they can relate to um in your experience and and Lord knows I've not only sat through a lot of bullshit, but I've quoted guys uncritically on a lot of bullshit where I'm just like, I don't think this is going to help, but I do it anyway. Cause it's good copy. It's just like this kind of stuff. Is, is this, is this anything Lindsay Jones? I mean, the thing that I appreciated, I, I will say the thing that I think maybe is valuable to take from it is that at least he's acknowledging that like, it's a thing that he's going to have to deal with. I think there's I thought thought the quote was interesting where he said he wanted to make sure that they knew that he was working as hard as they were to kind of get past it. Yeah, because I think there's there's a lot of coaches, at least like publicly or forward facing, that would be like, well, that was last year. This team is, you know, this is a new year. It's a new team. We're not worrying about what happened last year. The past is the past. We're over it. When we all know that they're not. And that it's like a big thing that's hanging over a lot of these teams and these coaches. Um, So the fact that at least he's not like hiding from it and that he's not hiding his team from the fact that they lost in one of the most horrifying, embarrassing fashions um, last year, I think that's positive. But I don't you know, I just don't know if there's like a right answer of like, oh, here's the the silver bullet that's going to get you over that type of loss. Um, Yeah. So, so I don't, I mean, it's like guys try stuff, guys try stuff all the time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't think it's going to help, but it's not going to hurt. I don't think that like, yeah, it's, it's just a thing to do. And if it breaks through to one guy, great. And like, it's just a fun thing to do in, in June and July when you have nothing on the calendar. Here's the problem that the Chargers face. I think that the Falcons after the 28 to three, which was significantly worse because they're going to win the damn Super Bowl, And that's when that means more contract money. That means security. That means never have to buy a beer again in Atlanta. Like it means so many things, right? They made a big old show about being over it. Remember that? Yeah. Did and you go to that like, camp? Oh, I went to it. Yeah. Big old I was show there opening. I was there opening day of that camp. They were so, they couldn't have been more over it. I've never, I've never, uh, they've set the record for being over it. Okay. Five years later, six years later, wherever it is, you talk to anybody associated with the game, not over it for a second. Never were over it. Still are not over it. Have a beer and a half. And they start talking about it. Have a, have not even a beer and a half. Just like tee them up and they'll go. There's nothing that you can do 
to close that door unless you win another Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl in some cases. Yeah. And I'll do one better. If Dan Quinn wins a Super Bowl as DC, and he's won it, I believe he's won a Super Bowl with Seattle or he's at least been yeah. in the mix. Um, I don't think it's going to feel the same because he was the head coach. And, and again, like, I just don't, I think you never get over that unless you have an unbelievable run of success. And that's almost incidental. Everybody says, oh, you can use this to fuel you. I, I don't know. It's a pretty, it's pretty damn hard. Um, and you're in an AFC now with not only a stacked division, but a stacked conference to where I wouldn't guarantee anything as far as the playoffs go. And this could be Brandon Staley's last ride. And he's going to look back on that. I think that in the back of your head, you're always thinking if I'd close that out, would I be on the hot seat now? And there's nothing you can do to close that chapter. I've just know too many teams that have done this for me to think that they can get over it now. Uh, all right. Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel's Netflix documentary came out. He says he, there's a couple of things here. He said he watched zero film, which is what I wanted to talk about. Uh, it is it is he his dad faked a heart attack for him to get out of the combine. So he went to take a drug test. Uh, it is also indicated that maybe he did not take his own drug tests. Don't know about that. Put that off to the side for a second. Um, his receivers are so hungover at a workout that uh, Manziel's lawyer and agent ran routes and apparently did okay. Okay. Um, but let's harp on the zero, the zero film thing. Um, is college football in the hot seat because they let Johnny Manziel run all over him when he didn't actually study anything. <laughs> and he was so fun that season, 10 years ago, I guess. Two, well, no, two seasons. Um, well, and that's, what's like, kind of just like wild about the whole Johnny Manziel experience is because like he was so electric as a college player and I think he was just this like enigma that he was so successful so quickly that he kind of had his own rules and could do whatever he wanted um I have not watched the documentary, the the Manziel documentary yet. Um, I'm very much looking forward to. I'm also very much looking forward to the University of Florida Swamp King ones that's coming out in mm. two weeks or so, because um, these are both stories that I was around pretty intense, like programs and players that I was around a lot as a reporter. Um, I spent a lot of time in Cleveland in 2014, and you heard a lot of these like Johnny's a mess and. You could see the stuff that Johnny was a mess, but everybody was going out of their way to protect him. And he was clearly not going to be honest with any of this stuff. But like the people who are around those teams, I think. were just, I think, a little like shell shocked about just what a disaster he was. Um, but like, I just I just I mean, I remember at the time being like, how did the Browns mess this up so badly? But then you realize the Browns. It's the Brown, Browns is Browns. The Browns. So there, there was one insane thing that came from the the doc, which is that so anyone who follows college football is aware of the legend slash reported information that Johnny Menzel comes from a wealthy oil family. Did you see this information that came out in the doc? So it's like no. a thing that like he had nothing to worry about. He's kind of a brat because he comes from tons of money. Which I felt like I'd seen a lot of photos of him like playing nice golf courses and like he's with his family and right. everybody looks looks well dressed. And I'm saying, okay, the oil thing probably makes money. 
What actually happened is that his friend who went by Uncle Nate. Yeah. There's your first red flag. Yep. He, a a person your own age is going by uncle. Uh, He was just laundering the autograph money through his grandfather. And then they just made up a story about oil wells. Which is just, it's like the, for, for me, like uh, reading like message board gossip from 15 years ago, 10 years ago, that to me is like the Manti Teo story. Yeah. I mean, I'm just excited. Like, it's just interesting that he just like completely opened up. And I think the Netflix folks um, were a bit surprised of just like how revealing he was going to be. Um, his agent, Eric Burkhardt, was also, I believe, very revealing about their dealings. And I remember, I mean, I'm sure you, you had this stuff too, of dealing with Eric Burkhardt during all of the Johnny Manziel drama and trying to figure out what's going on. And at one point they actually kind of like split up because Johnny needed help. And then. And then he went to Rosenhaus and Rosenhaus. And Rosenhaus was like, I can't, I'm out. Yeah. I mean, it was bad, but yeah, I mean, like I've said this, not for this to just be like a let's reminisce about all of our old reporting experiences, but I was in Cleveland the night he got drafted. And Mm. not because I knew they were going to draft Johnny Manziel, but I was there because they had two top 10 picks and they needed a quarterback. And I was able to get access to the people there and spent, you know, did a lot of interviews and, um, remember being in the draft room as their jump and they were moving all over the place. They ended up taking Justin Gilbert, who was like huge bust of a cornerback actually before Johnny, they traded all over the place. Um, and I remember getting a little bit of time, one-on-one time with Johnny Manziel the day after the draft when he flew in and, you know, seven or eight minutes, you know, nothing actually meaningful. But then I kind of followed him around a bit. And that spring, I went out to the NFLPA rookie premiere. Did you ever do that event? Did you ever go to that event? I did. So it's um, with the year that I did it with that class, it was at the Coliseum. It was in like, you know, they stayed in West Hollywood. And uh, of course, Johnny was getting followed by the paparazzi all over the place and, you know, was being followed to these like nightclubs and, you know, paparazzi photos of him the night before they were supposed to be at this big event. And Johnny was so hungover the morning that yeah. they had to do the big, the big thing for this. It's like the NFL PA um, where they debut their uniforms and it's a big like promotional thing and they have all the, the trading cards are there and it's the first time you get to see the guys in their uniforms. And Johnny was so hungover like barely functional hungover and rather than doing all the stations and the um pro you know fo- it's photo shoots and all this kind right. of stuff he laid under a folding table and uh with just like on the grass i have photos of it <laughs> like it was it was bizarre and like to the point now what was the um what was the clemson quarterback taj boy played- yes uh who'd like big personality uh, never was like a good jets jets yes and so yeah. he was doing the like i'm gonna like interview all the other guys oh, and like God. do the bits and he went over to try to interview to talk to johnny while johnny was laying on the grass under a table because he was like so hungover maybe still wasted i mm-hmm. i don't know at this point like i feel like everything is on the table possibly he's put it all <laughs> out there and all he did johnny was there because there was a tablecloth over the table um, which is how he got a little shade and privacy or whatever. And so Taj is asking him questions. I don't even remember what the questions were. And all Johnny sure. did was stick his hand up and gave him a either a thumbs up or a thumbs down. 
to answer. <laughs> so somewhere buried in the depths, the nine-year-old files on photos on my iPhone is of Johnny laying under the table doing like a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So Netflix, if you do a sequel, hit me up. Uh, I've, I've got some oh, stories, but like, what you knew? I mean, it was just a mess, but you know. Here's, here's my problem on that. You hear about a lot of guys who are messes and then you go, all right, I'm going to short this guy. And it actually takes longer than you think for that to catch up. Mm-hmm. First of all, there is no correlation between, not to put this, what time someone goes to bed and how sober they go to bed and coaching success. Like that's number one, right? Because you hear about some coaches where it's just like they just max out. They're out at the bars till three in the morning. And then it's like, all right, well, they're also just winning games. So what are you going to do? Um, so that there's that that part of it. And the second part of it is just like, again, like you hear the there's there's certain players where you'll hear him. You know, this guy does not eat right. He doesn't live right. He doesn't you know, he's he's out every night and just like, all right, whatever. Maybe you know, keep an eye on it. And then they have great 10 year careers and they're, they learn how to manage it. At the end of the day, these guys are 20 somethings, just like any industry in America. And some guys um, deal with it better than others. Some guys deal with stress better than others, all that stuff. Like Manziel is a interesting case. I think that Manziel could have gotten away with a hell of a lot more from an off the field standpoint. If he simply studied the game, he didn't didn't no effort into actually being good. Some of these guys are like, I'm actually just going to party my ass off, but I'm also going to work hard at football. And they end up in like a nice little middle ground. A lot of these guys Mm -hmm. say, Hey, you know what? If I'm good at football, that's going to give me money to buy more booze. And then the whole thing takes off once they make that transaction or just like, the vacations in Cabo, not necessarily the booze because you can get free booze, but like you can yeah. take nice vacations and party if you're good at football. And that is the most valuable lesson. I should go to the rookie premiere and tell you guys, if you're going to party, be good at football. That's the number one, my number one thing. Um, or put a pin in the partying for four and a half years and get a second contract and then mail it in. Always an option. Um, all right. Last thing, Vikings non-committal on Kirk Cousins. So this is funny. So his ownership came out. Mark Wolf said he's non-committal about it. Um, we'll leave it to the GM, Quezzy. I don't know how much of a headline this is because they already waffled on the contract. The contract, they didn't extend him. So yeah, of course they're going to be non-committal. They didn't extend him. Well, I mean, I think one of the like underrated storylines of this year is just going to be like the the next phase of quarterback movement. And what next offseason is going to look like and the way that Kirk Cousins has always kind of been out there as the uh, the prototypical quarterback, the guy that Kyle Shanahan loves. And then given how far reaching the tentacles of the Kyle Shanahan offenses throughout the NFL, that if he were to become a free agent, how many guys in the league would be like, oh, yeah, I'd love to work with that guy and what the market for Kirk Cousins is going to look like. Um, but, yeah, we're at the silly we're at like silly season for news right now where it we'll, we'll see a lot of these type of headlines. But I do think it's real that there's going to be some very interesting what's going to happen with our Kirk Cousins once the season is over stuff. Something will be in silly season unless you're. Year. You're in, we're in silly season unless it's the commanders, in which case Ron Vera is randomly saying that the coach is being too hard on his players. Um, there will be a massive bidding war for Kirk Cousins because the dominant offensive force in this league is 
run by coaches who adore Kirk Cousins. Mm -hmm. So he's become a meme. And I think people see him a little bit as a joke. The people who control purse strings do not see him as a joke. Yeah. There's a reason he's made a lot of money and he will be extremely coveted. Even if he's like plays B plus this year. So that's it. All right. We're done. You got your daughter's been stomping in and out of the room. She she needs some attention. Um, I'm 24 hours away from seeing, I'm giving my son a lot of attention. Thank you to Richie Bozick. It's been Slow News Day on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thank you.